0: Guys, thanks for listening to this episode. We really appreciate all of the support and staying alongside the audio to now visual component of Beans Without Boundaries Uh, going forward with the second season. We do have like a little bit of increase of cost, so we set up a little donation thing through Buy Me a Coffee. It's a little website that if you're willing to just splurge, there's an option for being able to just buy me a coffee. It also gives me a good idea if you really are enjoying our content and would like to help support and continue it. The link will be in the description underneath the YouTube video. It's also gonna be in the description for Apple Podcasts and um, Spotify Podcasts as well. Uh, Whichever platform uh, would be greatly appreciated to just continue following along the journey and whatever you're willing to just kind of help with feedback, whether it's comments on the videos or just going on social media. Um, And if you're feeling typically generous, it'd be great to just throw a coffee my way. Thanks for listening in and uh, until next time. How are you? I'm good. How are you? Good. It's been a long (laughs) time coming for this one. Yes. I know that like we were trying to like schedule a while out in advance and now <laughs> we're here. Yes. Yeah, very uh it's like on my calendar and then the trips happened. Yeah, I can't wait to dive into that stuff. Yeah. So go ahead and take a second to introduce yourself if you don't mind. So yes, hello, my
1: name's Arelli. Uh, Arely Areli Barrella um, and I am the co-owner, green coffee buyer, and a roaster at Little Ways Coffee Roasters in Durham, North Carolina. Woo!
0: <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to the show. Um, me, you, and I had met through last year's Roasters Guild retreat. Yes. How was your experience?
1: It was good. Um, it was my second one, um, and I was. It was my first time going with someone from the team. Um, I went with Mari Guterman, who's now our head rooster and director of roasting and quality. Um, yeah, it's interesting. I feel like the roosters, the rooster retreat, is kind of like it can feel intimidating I think sometimes Mm -hmm. um and I feel like the roasting tent is meant for you to kind of explore Mm -hmm. but I also feel like it's kind of scary because it's like how much do you want to like reveal that you don't know
0: about something you know yeah that's exactly how I kind of felt wandering the the roasting tents
1: yeah um kind of having that conversation with my husband and partner but just in terms of like, you know, like, uh, I'm mostly over the roastery. Um, he and I kind of, we have in Durham, we have a roastery and three cafes and he kind of looks oversees the cafes with our amazing management team, but in the roastery, like we're predominantly like women of color roastery. Oh, that's
0: so cool.
1: it feels really cool. Um, and it's also like something that I always like remind myself, like how unique that is right now.
0: I was going to say for sure.
1: Hopefully that changes, but, um, yeah, I mean, we're all like, I feel like Val is maybe the tallest person in here, but otherwise we're all like five, three or less. (laughs) 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 Um, Yeah, it's just, it's interesting to think about um, working in that environment is like really different. And then you go to like a Rooster's Guild retreat and then you're like, oh, you know, like, how do you like uh, adjust to the different dynamics of existing in spaces that aren't predominantly
0: women? Yeah, I was going to say, I feel like in general, (laughs) a lot of the women that were there probably had the same feeling especially (laughs) because like I remember I didn't go this year because one I can't afford those um I won the Dietrich scholarship last year so that's why I went um but I remember being in that tent and it feeling so kind of like not communal you know what I mean it just feels like you have a really hard time interrupting or joining in or some people will hog the machines and it's just like not inviting of an atmosphere um and i found myself many of times just sticking towards the corner and not really putting myself in there which i'm kind of sad about like i had a i probably could have been a little bit more like putting pushing myself but i didn't feel comfortable kind of like being around a lot of the the male dominant uh personalities that had a lot of those conversations with the reps for the roasters yeah And yeah yeah
1: yeah I it makes me sad to think about that too just because I feel like it's really all in our heads you know like mm-hmm. I mean it's not all in our heads like it's right. it, but I think for the most part we overthink it way more than they do yeah <laughs> I think for sure. Uh, It's doing us more of a disservice than them, but, uh, yeah, no, I, I feel like it almost feels like you have to go even more prepared than other people. Yeah. just kind of, and again, that's like a self inflicting thing that we put on ourselves. I will say too. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Oh no. Just, just to kind of prove ourselves and like. You know, kind of just send that message that, like, we belong there just as much as right. anyone else who's there. Um, but, yeah, it was really nice to to connect with all the other folks at the She's the Rooster
0: yeah. meeting.
1: <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah, I I loved everybody that I met there. I loved how the dynamic kind of shifted immediately when all of us were in the same space. Mm -hmm. um and it kind of like inspired me to continue on going and roasting and doing what I'm doing because it gets a little bit harder when you're away from that kind of support to continue on in that part of the industry at least for me yeah no for sure
1: it yeah it definitely like it's almost like your shoulders drop and your Mm -hmm. ability to ask questions and be curious all over again, like is allowed that like, like you get this like pathway of like, now I can like actually be curious and ask questions about Mm -hmm. like, how does this machine work? You know, I don't know. It's, it's, it's interesting. I think some people have a good knack of allowing that space, but not everyone does. And I think it's just one of those things that you, like, learn to navigate, but, yeah, it's just different when you're around your peers that you feel, where you feel seen, you know, Mm -hmm. and you feel like, yeah, your shoulders drop and you can breathe.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I had only been roasting for a couple months at that point. Oh, wow. So, like, when I got into that tent and when I saw everybody there, it was it was really intimidating and yeah. it's it was even more so intimidating cuz it seemed like people were going there recurrently years after year yeah. so i remember like the beginning social right like as soon as you get there like they had the drinks out i just remember not talking to anybody like there was yeah. and then eventually i talked to um a few other people and i just remember i'm like Man, I didn't expect it to be like this.
1: <laughs> I think like over the days, though, you start to kind of like, yeah, I don't know, the doors start to open for those conversations. Yeah. I mean, we're, I feel like a lot of the people in the coffee industry are super shy, like introverted people. Um, I feel like it's rare to find an extroverted coffee person, but I mean, I don't know. Am I wrong?
0: I've met a lot of uh men that don't have a hard time doing that actually
1: that's I mean, I don't know that
0: they're extroverted though <laughs> true. I feel like everybody's naturally like a huge nerd in the coffee industry that have some part of it that they're like they keep to themselves <laughs> um, I would say that overall though my experience
1: at the um at the retreat was a pretty positive one. I really enjoyed um, the class where we, like, tasted for phenol and, like, for defects, and Mm -hmm. that was, um, I think it's uh, Camila, right? Are you talking about Camila Calife? Yeah, Camila. Okay, good. Yeah, she came on the show. Oh, good. She was a fucking
0: great episode, too. I loved talking to her.
1: She's so fascinating, and yeah i love following her journey Mm -hmm. um yeah i felt like that class really like stuck with me that one and then there was like a espresso like profiling for espresso slash like solubility Mm -hmm. uh, which was like a really interesting one um yeah i don't know i i tried to challenge myself this year or that year to like get out of my shell a little bit more but still It it is hard, especially in the roosting tent, to, like, just go and try something, Mm -hmm. you know, kind of blindly without really knowing, like, how a machine works. It just feels out of control, and I don't like the feeling.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I would have definitely done it different if I had a second uh, wave of going back.
1: Yeah. But, I mean, yeah. I think I think that having the like the she's the rooster meetup at that thing I think really helped um kind of put everyone at ease in a mm-hmm. in a way.
0: It felt more like familial in a sense. Like eventually yeah. once we all got like comfortable with each other, it just felt like Yeah. Like a good comfy like group of women just like talking about stuff.
1: Yeah. I think, I think had we had like, had we done that, like at the very beginning, it probably would have been a better experience for a mm-hmm. lot people just to like, kind of break that barrier of like, ah, you know, like that yeah. imposter syndrome or also just like, how do you navigate this space right while taking up space, you know, and like feeling certain in yourself. Um, But yeah, I think overall, I feel like both my experiences, the first Roaster's Guild that, that I went to, I met a lot of people from Mexico. I was super excited about, (laughs) um, and it was like in Atlanta. So I live in North Carolina, so I drove down to it. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: Um, so it was a little bit cheaper, you know, it was just like the cost of the thing, which is still very like expensive, but Mm -hmm. I think I had a similar experience though in the roasting tent. Um, but yeah, I think that's just one of those things where it's, like, learning how to overcome that. Yeah. Um, but the classes and everything, I feel like the second time around, I got more out of it. Because uh, I think also, like, I went in 2019, I think is when it was. Um, and then again, when I met you. mm mm-hmm. um, But, yeah, I think both me and Mari Carmen kind of got a lot out of Camila's class. Um I think I think Mari Carmen also felt a little affirmed mm-hmm. in some of her like team things, but she also was kind of like uh realizing some of the things that um we don't see on a day-to-day basis here because we are a predominantly like woman forward mm-hmm. company. So it's just interesting to to hear her, and it's also interesting, like when we as a team have gone to like Expo, you know, and it's like, oh wow, we really are a unique team. Yeah, <laughs> you know, because I think we just feel so like accustomed to it on the day to day basis. But
0: anywho, <laughs> <laughs> what got you started in coffee, like? um like what's your origin story did you want to do coffee in the beginning
1: i was interested in coffee um more from the realm of like how community kind of came together around the spaces of cafes um And then I feel like learning more about coffee itself and extraction and like latte art and barista skills, like that kind of got me more hooked, but it was more kind of the draw for me was more like communal space. And, um, I grew up in Cherokee, North Carolina, which is a native, um, boundary. Um, technically they call it the reservation, but they own the land and they have their own government. Mm -hmm. Um, Like, growing up there, um, there wasn't really a coffee shop. And around 2004, um, my now husband, like, had moved to the area um, and, like, opened up a gallery space and a coffee shop with his partner at the time, who was Cherokee. And, um, like, that kind of catalyzed me I guess to start thinking about the spaces in that way and like like I guess just being able to see like the way that it had transformed a specific group of people but also that it was like intergenerational within Cherokee um I thought it was really special and it made me realize especially because they also roasted their own coffee at that time um just how global of a connection you can have mm-hmm. uh, through coffee um, and then just over over time I feel like coffee has just been one of those things that I don't think it's specific to coffee but it's a very reflective mm, industry I guess or. I don't know how to describe it. I just feel like I, it really challenges you to take a deep look on how, at how you show up in spaces and how you show up for yourself and like where you're at as a human and your development and your healing as a person. And like, and especially like in leadership and like, you know, how you lead and like how you um, communicate and Mm -hmm. all the really hard things about being in spaces with other humans <laughs> and, and creating things with other humans. Um, yeah. I, I really love how challenging it all is. Like it's challenging, but also really rewarding, you know, like I feel like I grow as a human every single day because of coffee.
0: So from that perspective, at what point were you like, well, I'm going to start investing in this now?
1: <laughs> um, honestly, it was like a decision that me and my partner made right when we got married. Like we were like, let's start our own business. Um, So we kind of started just streaming it and we wrote our like business plan and we had no money and we were just like, <laughs> like, let's just, see what happens and just keep pushing forward even though we like like at this point it's like what do we have to lose we literally have nothing <laughs> you know so we just kept pushing forward and um leon has a little bit of like a film background where he helps like make things out of nothing and so That's
0: with cool.
1: yeah so with his help and and his experience in that and then me being like an immigrant kid, and watching my dad like open up shops, like I feel like we had a little bit of that like gusto to just kind of keep pushing forward, and yeah, uh, definitely a lot of help from the community and like putting ourselves out there. And um, we started on a bike, um, oh, that's and the cool. bike the bike kind of helped us like really. Um, cause we moved from Western Carolina to Durham, um, which is kind of like a four and a half, five hour drive. Um, and yeah, we moved here and I had graduated from UNC so that like, I kind of knew the area and Leon had worked in Durham, like, uh, a f- for like a few months at one point with his friend, David, who's an artist and David is actually the person who kind of like made us not made us, but like wrote us this beautiful email, basically saying why he thought Durham would be the perfect place for us to open our business. Um,
0: and I mean, yeah, he wasn't wrong. (laughs) Yeah. I think at this point you're doing pretty well for yourself.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. It, um, I don't, I don't know that like, Our business would thrive in any other setting the way that it has here
0: I will say you've got me curious now what what yeah like about the cafe experience you you saying that you don't think it would have done well anywhere else
1: yeah I just I just think that our approach to business is a very socially minded perspective and it takes customers who are willing to be a part of that journey with you. Um, in Cherokee, like for instance, uh, it took Leon and his partner at least seven years to feel like a current of and an inkling of trust from the community, you know, so it's like, a again, it's, like it's a little bit different of a scenario because it's a native. Right land and that already comes with its own like traumas and history and
0: Mm
1: -hmm. um you know leon is from new york and a a very foreign person (laughs) yeah um so yeah i feel like you know durham is a very like special place um and the community here is very uh There are other communities in in the nation that I feel like are similar, but like, yeah, I think people really do care about like supporting local and supporting local businesses that actually care and give back and are about like livable wages and, you know, um, just thinking about and putting intention into every single decision, I guess, which not every because sometimes that also ends up like costing more money right so it's like i think that's part of it is like how do you balance doing business in that way having a community that supports doing business in that way and also give back to the community in ways that is equitable um which Sounds nice,
0: but it's really hard. <laughs> oh, yeah. I'd imagine. <laughs> yeah. Where, where did you get the name Little Waves? That
1: came uh, through mine and Leon's love story.
0: <laughs> you can't see me, but I'm excited to hear it. <laughs> um,
1: so in 2010... Um, a bunch of like 2009-2010, end of 2009-2010, all of these things just like started happening around us, and there was this like chaos, like tragedies, and it was almost like as if this tiny little window opened, and if we didn't take that opportunity in that window of time, like he and I would not be together. And so it was kind of this, like, this is all within the context that like Leanne and I kind of knew each other already. And like, we had a friendship and, you know, it's not like I married this stranger. <laughs> right. um, we were like exchanging text messages and living in Cherokee is one of those things where it's like it's land that is very charged with energy and um, I feel like I my dreams were so vivid and like when we moved to Durham it was a very different experience like I felt like a fish out of water where I was like I am not dreaming anymore like I feel like I'm like I think I was just so accustomed my body and my spirit were so accustomed to like being in that energy field that like being out of it made me realize how ungrounded and how like much I needed to create my own rituals and my own like uh, experiences of how to come back to myself Mm -hmm. um, and practice whatever it is that I practice. Um, And so being there i was like by the river and i was like just kind of sending him these like almost like magic realistic like text messages and to which he responded like little waves rushing up the shore which for him it was like literally a visual of like the little like those little like waves that come up at the shore of long island um where he grew up Mm -hmm. and um like fast forward to 2000, I would say 17, 18 and 2017. And we're like, kind of thinking about our perspective of like how we want to approach sourcing coffee and like, you know, um, just the way that we do business in general. And it's like, we talked about like the little ripples and the little waves of like daily actions that make big waves mm-hmm. um, just because it can be and it can feel very daunting on a day-to-day basis to try to tackle big topics you know and so it's like how do you actually incorporate that on a day-to-day basis and create these little ripples um, so that's kind of where the name came from <laughs> that <is> so
0: cute. <laughs>
1: um, but it is definitely something that like we imbue in our decision-making and like how we create relationships with our sourcing partners and and even in hiring and like, you know, and all, again, all of those things are like when you're trying to do it intentionally, um, it takes more time Mm -hmm. and energy and sometimes it takes, uh, I guess more dedication to training. Right. And so it's, you can't easily just like hire somebody and expect them to like move into that role. It's like, it it takes us longer to get out of that role as owners, you know? So it's like, I like it, but it's also like, you know, work life balance is off balance. (laughs) 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 but we're working on it we're working on it but I feel like it's you know I think it's also like when I look around myself you know and like around the roastery I'm like I'm fucking glad we did it this way you know like yeah it has more
0: meaning there substance yeah it's like you're staying true to yourself versus um easily like kind of like going full capitalist mindset so yeah
1: Yeah. I mean, it's nice, you know, to hire like professionals within our industry, but it's also like they have to fit our culture. Like they have to like, well, not, not just fit, but like be a good, you know, addition to it and lead in a way that is mindful of the fact that we are predominantly women of color. Right. Yeah. Which can also be hard sometimes to find that perfect fit. So, it's also nice to, like, hire from within and, like, to train people to get to that level. Mm-hmm. But, like I said, that takes a longer time to get me out of the role of doing both jobs. <laughs> yeah.
0: That makes sense. But, yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> so, how were your two trips you took? Where where has that left you? off coming back and how do you feel like it's kind of like helped bring you back?
1: Um, the two trips I took were phenomenal. Um, I went to Brazil with, uh, Phyllis Johnson, who is maybe like one of two black women importers in the U S um, possibly yeah I was I'll stick to the U.S. because that's what I know Mm (laughs) um but um I'm really glad that I did my like this origin trip with her um it was like her and Josiane Kotrim who like helped start the IWCA in Brazil um and then Miriam who I purchased coffee from in Mm -hmm. Brazil through, through Phyllis. Um, but the three of them, they're like amazing go-getters that are going to make things happen and make things happen in a beautiful and equitable and like mindful way. Um, and so the trip was like kind of focused on, um, meeting partners and potential new partners, um, in Brazil, specifically who are interested in being a part of the black Brazilian producer program, um, that Miriam and Phyllis are working on. Um, so I get two coffees from Phyllis currently from BD Imports. Um, Miriam's coffee is one of them from Fajenda Cachoeira. And then, um, from the Familia Peixoto um, from Sitio Santo Antonio. Both are within a similar area in um, Brazil. Um, Our trip focused on going to Matas de Minas and the producers from Santo Antonio like came with us on this trip. So it was like also their first time visiting this area and they got to meet some of the producers there Um, and just got to like share knowledge of Uh like practices and like the way that their farms are set up. And like, so we got to experience that as buyers, but also like got to meet the people that we buy our coffee from, got to meet new people, got to like experience Brazil's like, um, universities that focus resources and time and courses and, um, into coffee and, like, new coffee, like, plants to, you know, think about, like, climate change and, like, resistance to all the things. And, um, was, like, one of the varieties that kept coming up on our trip. I'm sorry, my nose is really stuffy. (laughs) No, you're fine. (laughs) Um, so, yeah, it was interesting because I recently just became a Q grader certified. Um, and it was like an arduous, like, testing thing, right? So it's like I had that happened, like, back in April. And then, like, I've been, like, cupping here. And then cupping in Brazil in front of producers was, like, a completely different experience.
0: What was it like?
1: Um... I would say that my scoring definitely went a lot higher up. <laughs> really? <laughs> it was just like, I mean, like I want to give good feedback, but at the same time, like I'm in their territory. Right. I'm literally like, you know, I want to, I want to be fair, but I also like, I'm also mindful that like yeah. how, what kind of work it takes to get this coffee to this table and I want to give good feedback, but at the same time, like, I want you to get money like right. for the that you're worth, that is worth for this, like labor, you know, like, um, it was just an interesting experience to like, kind of get a little bit, it, it felt a little bit like the rug was kind of like yanked from underneath my feet without really realizing that that was going to happen for myself. Like it was something that happened to me for me, you know, like nobody forced me to do that. It was just like my, my own reaction to it. After a few times of cupping, like I started to recalibrate myself, but it was interesting to like, think about it from that perspective. And, um, just thinking about it from, I understand like calibrating with Q and calibrating globally, but also like, how do you, be a good guest as well, you know? Yeah. Um, And how do you have, like, honest conversations about... I mean, some of the producers that were on the cupping table I knew and some of them I didn't know. And I'm sure they wanted real feedback, so I wanted to give them real feedback. And it's like, you know, just kind of focusing on the positive attributes of the coffee, I feel like sometimes that also gives enough feedback when there's like a lacking of something you know what I mean yeah um and then just like scoring things but like I don't know it just kind of reminded me too that like scores are
0: Mm. (laughs) no it's really interesting because uh me and Camilla have talked a lot about like this idea of like grading in general and how it's like I kind of, like, honestly agree with her at this point about (laughs) how it's kind of, like, bullshit, really. Yeah, I feel like it's a metric. It's a metric that
1: you can use to, like, calibrate. It's a metric that you can use to see if something is, like, quote-unquote wrong or, like, different, I guess. Um, But I personally feel like producers should still be getting paid at least a profitable amount for their profit, you know? And it's like, if something is scoring a lot higher, then they should get rewarded for that. But also like, I feel like if something's scoring an 80, like... By the way, I didn't score anything in 80 um, in Brazil. I I tasted a lot of really beautiful coffees in Brazil. Mm -hmm. So much so that I was like, where have all these coffees been? (laughs) You know, like, I feel like we get so accustomed to like a certain flavor profile from Brazil.
0: Mm
1: -hmm. But it was really, really like... Uh, a really beautiful experience to be in Brazil and like taste all these coffees from like all these women and specifically like black women in Brazil and um like black producers and like just to hear their stories and like their origin stories of how they got into like you know growing coffee and their their freaking farms were all like these like paradise cities (laughs) I was just like oh my god you live here like how lucky <laughs> um yeah I didn't want to go home I was just like please adopt me oh. uh, <laughs> it felt like home I was like I feel like I'm back in Mexico like in my dad's hometown like I don't know There was just a lot that felt really nice and like yeah just really home-like
0: mm-hmm.
1: um and just connecting with everyone and like hearing the realities of like the day to day, like these people are really talented, you know, like really well-skilled and like, you know, I was just kind of um, asking them, like, how can we be better partners, like in the future? Like what things besides just buying your coffee time and time again, like, what do y'all need? What, What, how can we keep offering like our resources? And and vice versa, you know, like, I'm sure our team would love to meet y'all and know more about, like, Mm -hmm. coffee farming. And um, so I think for me, like, I was really hesitant at the very beginning of my sourcing career to go to Origin. um, Because I wanted to learn more about, like, my role in that and... I don't know. It just, it felt odd. I kept seeing like pictures that felt like photo ops and like, it just felt very disingenuous. And yeah. I, like, I wanted to like create at least a track record in a way, like of right. a relationship, like I'm here and I'm purchasing from you like year after year. And then like showing up to like, kind of, you know, affirm that. And. What was yeah.
0: the answer they gave you?
1: um so some of them which is really cool they're a lot young a lot younger and they like started like a uh, like a youth program in a way um and some of them were like we would love to learn more barista skills I was like cool let's do a zoom when we get when I get back and like um which I need to follow up on um, but, like, you know, we'll have our baristas, like, chat with y'all, and, like, we can have, like, I don't know, just an exchange of information. Um, we could also, like, you know, I don't know. I think that's really cool because I'm very invested in the youth wanting to be invested in growing coffee, you know? Yeah. Um, as we all should. Um Yeah, I thought that was a really, like, I think it was, it kind of threw them off. Like, what?
0: (laughs) Like, that you were so willing?
1: Yeah, or, like, just even that question, like, what are you talking about? (laughs) Like, buy our coffee. I'm like, yeah, but what goes beyond that? You know, like, this is a relationship. Like, for me, the way I kind of see it is, like, we're creating, like, kind of local farmer's market vibes. I love that, though. You know, because, like, you get to know the people that you're working with, and... You don't need to necessarily know the ins and outs of their lives, but it's kind of nice to be able to support them
0: beyond just coffee. So how did you source when you weren't mass producing coffee? Like, how would that, did that not change the relationship on how frequent you were purchasing from them? And I mean, well, just in general. like how so you- not. We're not huge.
1: <laughs> we're, I would say that we're still a micro roaster. Um, we're kind of teetering the line, but like, I, I'd say we're a medium sized roastery. Um, and so for me, it's more of like kind of doubling down and being able to purchase more, you know? Mm-hmm. So that that's our whole goal is like, if we grow as a company, then everyone kind of rises with us. Like, we have the ability to purchase more coffee this year because we have where to put it. Um. So, but the the thing is, like, these producers are also, like, small scale. Mm -hmm. And so I don't always have that capacity. Like, I sometimes just get, like, three bags from the, like, family or, you know, if I'm lucky, I'll get 20 bags from... Um, so it's one of those things where it's just kind of like which is cool though because that also means that other people are purchasing their coffees and like yeah. you know excited about it so like I'm not mad about it mm-hmm. <laughs> as long as they're getting you know paid what it's worth like a valuable price that is like helping
0: them create that livelihood within coffee. Mm -hmm. How did the second trip go? So was that the first trip or was that a combination of the two?
1: Yeah, that was the first trip. We visited like four farms or so in Brazil. Um, And one thing that did come out of that that was like really valuable as well was learning that the purchase of 10 bags from one farm, like allowed them to buy this like machine that like helps them sort out like the floaters and the sinkers I was like to me I felt like that machine would have cost a lot more but like the fact that it was 10 bags I was like that's very doable for small roasters you know like that's a data point that is super valuable to feel like if I purchase 10 bags like this can have a huge impact on this like producer's life, you know, or like their, their ability to keep moving forward and like keep pushing their quality program. Um, which I feel like sometimes as smaller roasters, like it feels like we're not really making a difference because we're purchasing like five bags or whatever. Um, so I feel like I went away feeling like very affirmed that like even like the purchase of those 10 bags at the price of them making a profit that is still like a reasonable price for a a rooster. Like does make a huge impact. So it's like, if you're doing that year after year, like, I don't know. I think for me, that's, that's where I want to like be spending my money, you know? Right. Like those are the coffees I want to be bringing in. Those are the relationships I want to invest in. Um, and all of these coffees are phenomenal and, you know, and it's like, oh, we're also getting good feedback from our customers who are enjoying these coffees. So, so it's a win, win, win. Exactly. <laughs> um, and then, um, I went to Colombia. I met up with Leon there. Um, in colombia we met up with our producing partner um edwin noreña who um goes by el Alquimista. the alchemist (laughs) yeah um it's the name that his dad gave him he's been producing coffee since he was 14 years old wow when his father passed away um but he's been I think in 2017 or 19, he kind of started shifting gears towards like thinking about different types of fermentation processes. And that's kind of where he stayed. Um, So he's been producing these really beautiful, clean, vibrant, crazy, tasting, delicious coffees. Um, Colombian coffees are very sweet. I that's I think that's been one of my like observations from this journey and sourcing. Like it was a it was an interesting experience going from Brazil to Colombia. Um I think being more in like the rural areas of Brazil versus like Colombia had a lot more going on in the streets. Um it was just like a different shift but like with Edwin we were there for almost a week and we got to like um pick coffee with him we processed coffee together we cupped a lot of coffees um it was a different vibe a different speed a different um experience but still very valuable and Mm -hmm. still making those connections of like yeah. It's like, we're almost making like life time friends in a way, <laughs> but we're partners. <laughs> um, and, and Leon got there a little bit before me and he ended up meeting up with another producing partner that is also in that area. Um, Jose Giraldo and, um, yeah, I, I'm sad I missed him, but he was like on his way to Japan or something like that for, um, I don't know, yeah, Colombians hustle really hard. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, overall, it was just like a super. Um, I would say life shaping experience, especially within the like. Thinking about like um, the farming practices and like. Just getting like a real vision of like the day-to-day stuff, right? Of like how coffee is processed yeah. in these two countries, which is very different in every country. Um. But yeah, I mean, in Colombia, like um, Leon was saying that at Jose's farm, like there's literally like inclinations that like if you were to trip, you would probably roll down the entire hill i'm
0: like how do people pick coffee (laughs) here it's like just straight incline yeah it really so how do they do it do they just build up the ability to
1: i think that they have like little hooks that they like hook onto like the trees that are a little bit more mature and yeah i don't know it is crazy it's just like again like a reminder of like how hard it is for like the seed to crop or the seed to like uh, experience Mm -hmm. you know like i ended up sneaking a quick little detour on my way to colombia to panama and i went to the panama canal just to like you know close in that supply stream (laughs) it was pretty cool (laughs) um yeah sourcing coffee i feel like It's still, it's an ongoing learning experience of, like, how to show up, how to move coffees. I think last year it was, with all of the, like, delays in freight and all of the delays. I think pretty much almost every roaster that I've talked to, like, bought extra coffee. And so it's, like, this year it's, like, kind of learning how to... I don't know, create, I think it's learning the art of creating like a menu that you are excited about. And, um, Leon tries to talk about it, like from a perspective of like DJing, (laughs) Mm -hmm. um, you know, DJing your menu a little bit, like, when are you going to release these coffees? And it's like, it's super hard to know that like, you're going to actually get it on this date because reality of life. Um, but I think it's hard for me to like visualize that in that way. I just know like we get these coffees around this time and this coffee around this time. But like, I mean, creating a menu with some showstoppers and then also like, defining what a show stopper is for you as a business, you know?
0: Mm, Cause everyone's going to have a different opinion on that.
1: Oh, 100%.
0: <laughs> do you have a big crew that do cup together and like have a lot of evaluations together?
1: Um, We don't have a big crew right now, but we have slowly since like since the pandemic, like we just started launching our like pro development sessions again.
0: Mm
1: -hmm. Um, But right now it's mostly just me and Mari Carmen and um, Leon joins us from time to time. Um, And sometimes our like wholesale director will join us as well. Um, But our team is pretty small. We're like five people um, in the roastery. And then, like, 35 of us in the cafes. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, I feel like... When we do want that feedback, though, we do send coffees out to the shops. And, like, we have this, like, feedback loop a little bit with the team.
0: So, That's like, just, cool, though. Because yeah. I don't know how much of the baristas are knowledgeable on cupping. But, like, having mm-hmm. more of, like, a blind opinion on a coffee, too... Yeah. We'll probably speak a lot more and on a consumer level.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And yeah, it's sometimes like you also have to kind of decipher that like feedback sometimes to kind of correlate it to like yeah. how to actually apply to like a roast profile. <laughs> yep.
0: I feel this hardcore cause like I woke up mostly alone cause I'm, I'm a one man show at the place I work at. So I do all of our sourcing, all of our roasting profiling Um, packaging and fulfilling and barista oh wow so the owner um is not as well versed in cupping so like i'll have all of these like ideas and thoughts and then he'll just be like yeah i'm getting i'm getting something but i don't i don't don't know how to describe it and i'm just like (laughs) yanking (laughs) yanking trying to navigate these conversations and i'm just like "Woo, this is difficult
1: um, do y'all do like public cuppings
0: and stuff? We used to a lot. A lot's happened with where I worked um, last year versus what it used to be before I started working. So yeah. there's there's been a lot of transition from the place that I've worked, not even just on like a, a larger scale of like we had a retail store in a really public space and we were doing really well and had a really good production team mm-hmm. um, to when the pandemic hit, we kind of closed shop. And then we were just doing wholesale and e-commerce. Yeah. And that went from like a whole team to like one other person. Mm. So um, since then, it's, it kind of like changed management. The person who was originally leading the operations in the roastery also moved to a new place. And I kind of got grandfathered into this role after only roasting for like maybe six months. Mm-hmm. so it was a lot trying to learn I, I kind of yeah. use this podcast as a way to learn so awesome. it's awesome but it's it's hard to navigate this world with no mentors like yeah. Yeah. especially because I I, I talk to so many amazing people like yourself or like other people that I've met along the way that like I feel like well they're doing this job right they're definitely doing this job uh with good <laughs> ethics and morals and I just feel like I I stepped into a role where I never know what I'm doing. You're and flailing
1: I, like the little like
0: Yeah. I'm i n I'm I'm <laughs> the noodle arm like blow up thing outside of a car dealership.
1: I love that noodle arm blow up dealership doll. I feel like sometimes that is
0: life in a nutshell right there. Um Yep. So Except sometimes I never inflate again and I'm just on the ground. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's also true. Um
1: Interesting. I, I'm well, first of all, I'm always happy to like if you want to send me coffee, I'm happy to like cup it and send you feedback, um, and vice versa, if you don't mind. <laughs>
0: I love being able to make connections and learn more about roasting in general um, because I've kind of had to learn by constant levels of application. Yeah, so I'm at honestly- this point very. <laughs> very familiar with my roasting machine. But if you throw me on like a luring, like the one behind you, I'm like, (laughs) no idea. (laughs) Yeah. Um, But yeah, I mean, we, I will say, I don't really talk enough about like where I work and what I do because it's a little bit ambiguous and my mental space with it isn't always the best. But um, I kind of like once I started this journey of roasting and getting into this part of the industry, because I was a barista for like five, six years before that. Um, the person who I was mentoring under actually is the head roaster of the person at, at Barista Parlor in Nashville. So oh, cool. He he um, kind of showed me a lot of different things, and I had an opportunity to learn a lot about origin and just, like, learn about coffee in general. And then when I went to the retreat, I kept seeing these signs, and then I met, like, amazing women there. But I came back with this idea that I'm like... If I ever had my own shop, because I feel like every roaster at this point kind of like goes through that. They have this like, well, if I had my own shop, um, (laughs) I'd try my best to source women owned or women produced. Yeah. And I kind of pushed that incentive onto the new uh, management. And then it took a while to get there. um, But now that's what we're doing. It's awesome. Our newest coffee that's coming out like... We, we transitioned through many trials and lack of resources for me, particularly um, to be able to kind of source a really good flavor combo for our espresso and drip blend. So <laughs> that's also an art blending. Yeah. Cause we um, see this. I mean like we're, we're not high volume like at all. So, like, when I was asking you, like, how did you start sourcing in the beginning? Like, I, I wouldn't see us being even able to do, like, purchasing 10 bags. And, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. um, so, like, I've only ever known how to do blending versus, mm-hmm. like, having standalone coffees. So then when we do have single origin, I try my best to keep the minimal amount of manipulation that I can do. Because a lot of the time, the coffees are just delicious as they are. They don't need much. Yeah. Versus, like, I feel like it is an art form to try and do the blend. Mm -hmm.
1: And do you do, like, post-roast blending or Uh,
0: pre-roast? I mean, I've done that for fun, actually. Um, I just was like, oh, fuck it. I'm just going to throw everything into the roaster (laughs) and see what comes out. (laughs) I threw, like, maybe seven different samples of Costa Rica processed varietals yeah. into the blender, in the blender, <laughs> into the <laughs> roaster. And I was just like, well, we'll see. We'll put it on one, this, this profile and see what it comes out. And it was phenomenal. I was like, this is <laughs> delicious. <laughs> but um, for the most part, we do post roast blend. So it's like, we'll put everything on a different roast and then blend yeah. it together with a different ratio.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I feel like one thing that um, so we connected with Rob hosts when we first started roasting, especially because of the Loring, and mm-hmm. just like to get some like mentorship and like uh, advice from him and like guidance in getting started with it. Um, <clears throat> one of the things that he kind of recommended was like with blending coffees, like not to do more than three at a time mm-hmm. just because that just kind of gets muddled and you don't really taste much of something and not doing anything below to 20
0: i will say um i had a three blend for like a limited time mm-hmm. where it was mostly like we need to get out of this coffee like we've had it for too long so we're just going to throw it all together yeah and it was I don't remember the ratio, but it was a three-blend ratio of a Kenya and then two Ethiopias, and one of them was an anaerobic. And it was fucking wild. It was crazy. (laughs) So I feel like for the most part, a three-blend could work, but you'd have to have really pronounced characters in profile for that to kind of, like, have that differentiation versus, like, everything does get eventually muddled.
1: Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's wild, too, because, like, with blends, like sometimes depending on how it's being brewed like the 20% will show up the most depending on the mm-hmm. brew method. yeah uh, and like obviously like the majority of the blend will show up if it's brewed in a different way you know but, it's like i yeah to me like those things excite me i'm like
0: yeah it's like we like, it just like you
1: know thought about our like holiday blend for like, we, we always, like, create something very similar each year, but, like, mm-hmm. the components are always just, like, depending on what we have available. We do the same. Yeah. <laughs> um. But back to your question about, like, how we started. Like, um. I think we had, like, created, like, a minimum of, like, maybe five, no more than seven coffees, including a decaf that we would buy. Um. And so what I was doing is I was purchasing coffees that were a little bit higher grade so that I could use them both as like a single origin and for blending, um, which is a little bit more expensive, right. but it worked for us at the time because like our space, we barely had any space. Like, I mean, we, we're we still in the same space, but we ended up like putting these like pallet racks mm-hmm. that really helped us out um, during the pandemic. We were able to like move up to that, but um, yeah. I mean, now it's like I'm purchasing a lot more knowing like what coffees we use for blenders and like we're definitely saving money on that just because we're getting it at like a higher volume discount. Um, but, you know, we don't really have the space to warehouse it all. So we, right. we are all for warehousing. So it's like... I don't know i'm excited we just bought a building um and we'll be moving into that building for the roastery Uh, yeah that's awesome congratulations thank you um very excited um very excited to have this space (laughs) and to like be able to like you know store a lot of our like not just be able to like have shipment after shipment because that's also expensive you know
0: Mm -hmm. so
1: yeah, it's it's a tricky situation of like learning how to knowing when to stop sourcing
0: coffee. <laughs> I'm just like it's
1: so good,
0: but I want Honestly, this- it's it's a lot of fun.
1: It's like, so kind of like this you,
0: you're going like on this exploration of an adventure trying to find a coffee. And then so like fun. cupping is so much fun. Like I love cupping too.
1: Yeah. And it's like new relationships. And like, you're like, you end up really liking the person and you're like, Mm -hmm. I want that coffee. And so then you end up getting like five bags. And so now you have to like, (laughs) figure out where to put those five bags. So I don't know, I'm still learning that art. (laughs) Having space. Um, But yeah, I think like with the 10 bags, right? Like, using that as like the main blender or something. Mm -hmm. Um, And then veering off with other coffee offerings. Um, Yeah. You learn how to be creative with what you have, I think. Um, And the fun part too, is like being able to roast one coffee in multiple ways and see yeah. what you can get You know, that's been like our, our journey right now. We just sourced a coffee from Myanmar. And Ooh. we used like a, a Thai coffee that we had in the past. Like the profile? We, yeah, we used that profile just to like,
0: to see, start off. With yeah.
1: Yeah. And it's a natural.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And I was like, I feel like this coffee wants to be lighter. And so we went lighter And I had a feeling I knew that like it needed more development, but like, I just wanted to try like just a lighter roast and I really liked it. And now it's just a matter of like, I really liked it and it needs more development, but now it's just a matter of like, well, shit, which one's going to sell the best. Mm. (laughs) It's like, my preference doesn't really matter. It's like, what are we going to sell? Cause like one of them is like, almost like rooibos honeybush tea with like raspberry and mango and brown sugar and vanilla. And that's like the, like on the medium side and then the lighter side is like raspberry mango, but like really prominent. Like it tastes like a natural, it's very floral. It's very tea, like almost like a black tea. Um, The thing I really like about it is that it has this like earthiness that isn't like, like a nasty earthiness. Like, it doesn't taste like dirt. You know what I mean? Like, it's, <laughs> yeah. it's almost like a, like a fun mushroom tea in a way.
0: Hmm.
1: Yeah, it's it's a fascinating coffee. And that's, to me, like, those are the coffees that excite me. It's like coffees that I've never really tried before.
0: I was going to say, that- I don't think I've also had a coffee from that region. Yeah. I had, like, only really negative experiences with Sumatran coffees. And then I tried to, like, I had a good like lighter roast Sumatra and I was like oh my god it still sticks with me to this day
1: yeah I love when coffees prove me wrong
0: yeah and I love a coffee that'll be memorable like that like there was a coffee that I had um and I'm like I love I love her too that I that's how I met Macarena too from Tio Coneo when she was working there nice and then um there was a coffee that had like an anaerobic process and it tasted straight up like just fresh strawberries. And I'm like still one of my favorite coffees. (laughs) So it's cool. Like how much coffee can also be impressionable once you really enjoy the art form of it. Yeah.
1: Yeah, for sure. I think, I think that's kind of what like I left with too, like in both like Brazil and Colombia, like, Like, just seeing, like, Edwin's processing methods and, like, the way that he approaches things, like, it's so meticulous. Like, his name, El Alquimista, is, like, very well given, like, and deserved. Mm -hmm. He's just so... Everything is, like, he's kind of measured it to perfection. Yeah. He's really dialed it in, and it's just, like... Dedicated
0: to the science
1: yeah for for real like he's gotten to the point where he's like my next steps are like learning more about like the health benefits of like fermentation and Ooh, like that's cool because you know you think about like kimchi and you think you think about like fermented uh, f- uh foods right right he's like i feel like the same benefits like go into coffee i'm like that's never really thought about that you know yeah, from that perspective same. yeah So, yeah, there's a lot to learn in coffee. And that's another really cool thing I like about it. It's like you think you know everything, but you don't at all.
0: And then it keeps evolving, too.
1: Yeah, it keeps evolving. And then it keeps going back to, like, the basics. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Everything you poo-pooed is now cool again. It's like... (laughs) (laughs) I love how coffee just proves a strong time and time again.
0: Do you have, like um like any extremely memorable points in this journey with little waves or just like in your personal coffee journey that's kind of like stuck with you to this time
1: Hmm. yeah I feel like you know one of those things is like I feel like I before we started roasting we would um we would purchase coffees from like we were a multi-roaster account so we would purchase coffees from different roasters and like almost all of the like Guatemalan coffees that we would get like were just a little too tart for me mm-hmm. and so like that was my impression of Guatemalan coffees and so like when I started sourcing coffees I was like I don't I don't know that I like care too much about Guatemalan right. coffees and like my first cupping with Carabella, it was like Guatemalan coffees on the table and I like I didn't. I think I did know, but I was like, "All right, keep an open mind, keep an right. open." and tasted it. And I was like, "Oh my god, these are some of my favorite coffees." Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> I, say, I think maybe they just like were being roasted in a way that just like really heightened the acidity in ways that just like didn't mm-hmm. taste very balanced to me. Yeah, but like, yeah, I, like that, and then just like really learning that I love really dense coffees, like katuras and pea berries and i just love i love challenges
0: i feel like the denser so how do the, you handle like kenyans and congolese coffee then like those are uh, my two struggle bus regions when it comes to roasting I've never roasted a congolese coffee before um but i love kenyans um, kenyans are so polarizing I love the dynamic that is in a cup of coffee with a Kenyan coffee. Like Kenyans and Congolese coffees are some of my favorite, like, pour over or just... Do you
1: have one right now? Like a Congolese coffee? That's one of the components that we use for our blend. I'm going to have to buy a bag because that's (laughs) really cool. I want to try it. (laughs) It's
0: a blend of Congo and um, Mexico. Cool. So... It nice. it's kind of wild. Like it's a really interesting blend.
1: Nice. Um yeah, I think for me it's just keep trying it. Like I feel like in the very beginning when I first started roasting I was like trying to like get to these points in like the drying phase and the mire mm. like I think I was like trying to like speed through the drying phase. I don't know why. I was just, like, in my head, I was, like...
0: You wanted to hit I, that Meyer time, right? Yeah,
1: exactly.
0: <laughs> I'm saying exactly that because I know exactly what you're talking about. <laughs> That's exactly what it is. <laughs> it's, like, it's got to hit four like, minutes to the dot. Four <laughs> minutes and 30 seconds. It can't be... Because you're, like, over here detrimental. Like, oh, my God, if I'm, like, five seconds off, it's going to completely change what I wanted to build. <laughs> That's exactly what it is. That's so funny. Um, but then I learned to let go of that. Mm-hmm. and
1: the coffee started tasting sweeter and like more balanced. I was like, Oh, this is nice. Um, but yeah, just kind of learning like each coffee wanting its own, like end temps and like some coffees wanting a lot of development and like not feeling weird about it, you know? Cause I just feel like I'm like, I feel like all the coffee bros looking at me like, why is this an 18% development? You know, like, mm. <laughs> um, I don't know. It's it's interesting just to see the journey. I was gonna say,
0: this is just random. Piggybacking off of what you just said is like it's really interesting watching how each coffee changes after first crack. Oh, like you can't tame it. You're just like, all right. So you're on a great road, and sometimes after first crack, it'll just completely change the the pathway that it was set on. Yeah
1: yeah i heard um somebody in brazil a, a female roaster say like i try to always just give it like a minute and 30 seconds of development at least i was like oh interesting i'm gonna try that <laughs> and so i've been trying that and like you know some ethiopian coffees definitely just want like 50 seconds you know mm-hmm. um but you go to the cupping table that's really where the proof is yeah and it's like. Yeah, you just keep adjusting and, like...
0: I love all of the, like, things over time I've kind of, like, learned from trial and error. Like, I really do enjoy profile roasting over production roasting. Yeah. Like, I just love the manipulative aspects of, like, okay, so if I just change this, maybe if I change this, let's see how this comes out. And then if I change this, let's see how this comes out. It's just a lot more of the actual... You feel like... Well, that's- where this you learn scientist of some sort. Yeah. That's
1: like where you learn the components of the roasting process of like what does each part do to the coffee? You know, like where do I get body? Where do I get sweetness? Where do I get more acidity? Where do I like mute it down? You know. Um, and I think the learning learning your roaster I think is like one of the biggest things and I think that's probably why I felt so like intimidating in the roasting
0: oh yeah in the roasting
1: just because I'm like I'm so used to the luring that's where I feel like I can shine
0: but like I feel like I was in the same way (laughs) I was the same way though because I use a U.S. roaster so like mine is a manual gas so like when I stepped up and we had the opportunity to do that like blending challenge um And I was just like, everyone wanted to go to the Loring, and I'm like, I don't know anything about this. And I watched it, and I'm <laughs> like, this, this is this is the future. <laughs> I'm like, I don't know. Like, I think the only like manual gas was that Probot, right?
1: Yeah.
0: Or like it was the it was the Korean one. I don't remember which one it was. Um, but for the most oh, part, right, right, right. But for the most part, it all the other ones weren't. And I was just like, how am I supposed to? I don't know. I feel very comfortable on my machine, but if you threw me on like even a Diedrich, I'm like, I don't, I don't think, I don't know how I could, that would just take time, but yeah. Yeah, I think
1: that's, I think that's why like manipulating the profile is like an important skill set because that's where you can kind of start. Once you get over the fact that this isn't your machine and you have to like learn it, it's kind of like going from like, automatic to like standard (laughs)
0: driving
1: you know it's like you know how to drive you just need to like figure out the mechanics of the standard now
0: i don't know (laughs) that's a really interesting analogy because in my head i'm like well if i fuck up stick i'll just crash or ruin the car (laughs) it's fine (laughs) casualties it's okay (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> i always have this fear when i'm like messing around with coffee especially if it's like a new one i'm like man i'm gonna ra- ra- like just waste a whole batch if i don't do well on it
1: yeah yeah that's the other thing it's like how what do you do with that coffee when you're profiling it yeah we sometimes i just
0: i was gonna say sometimes like throw it in a cold brew or like put it i'll take a bag and i'll like donate to, somewhere it just isn't so yeah,
1: yeah we usually blend it or we'll like throw it on espresso (laughs) I mean (laughs) and it's usually really good I was gonna say how does it pull (laughs) (laughs) yeah um yeah I think profiling is like my favorite thing to do as well it's like getting to learn a coffee and like I think putting your knowledge to the test of like, you know, reading the like moisture level, the density, like where it's from, what's the variety, like how high was it grown? Like,
0: Mm -hmm.
1: like all of those, all of those data points, but also just kind of like trusting yourself and like trusting your gut and then like, you know, past experiences with other coffees that are similar. and Just like, you know, how hot do you charge it?
0: How fast do you add gas can I just say, this is a really random thing, but I really fucking hate the word soaked. I really don't. I'm like, when I walked in, I was just like, what the fuck is soaked? So i like, I don't like the way that we're just casually throwing this into terminology. <laughs> yeah, I soaked the uh, the roaster before I dropped the beans. I'm like, ew. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, we couldn't have figured a better word. <laughs> I just, like, preheated or something? I don't know. Yeah. Yeah, that's... Yeah, I don't know about that one. (laughs) It's like using the word moist. I'm like, I moistened my roaster. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my God. (laughs) No, stop it. (laughs) Uh, So, at this point, then... With everything you have going on and a lot of, like, good gradual growth,
1: Mm
0: -hmm. where do you see little waves trying to go now? Like, what's the trajectory you're trying to keep going on?
1: Um, I mean, for me, I feel like growth for the sake of growth has never been for us. Um... Just trying to think about like coffee careers and livable wages and like livelihoods. And but through the entire supply stream, like, how do we just keep enhancing these relationships? How do we keep finding that work life balance? Keep doing the things that we love and are passionate about and just keep creating like. I don't know, a net positive experience for everyone. Um,
0: Livable wages is really a great thing to try and, like, uplift.
1: Yeah, and it's not just livable wages, it's, like, career-oriented salaries, right? Like, that takes, yeah, that takes growth to be able to provide that. Um, We're not currently, like, offering, like, Um, health insurance just because as the size of the business that we are like it costs our team less money to get insurance by themselves than through us yeah (laughs) Um, so it's like I don't know just like really kind of imagining like I don't know how do you take care of your team and yourself yeah Yeah. I guess me included in that, in that question, um, just because I feel like we've, you know, like, like I said in the very beginning, like we started with very little money, like almost no money. (laughs) And so we've just kind of like, we've literally just been hustling since 2010. And at this point, like my partner is and he's 50 and, um, I'm like, up there (laughs) um i'm 38 so it's like i have like a bit more in my gas tank right and Mm -hmm. like how do we get to that point where we now enjoy like working and coffee and not just like hustling
0: yeah i could see
1: yeah and then also just like how do you continue to like carve a path for more equity in coffee, and be able to see a diverse coffee industry.
0: Yeah.
1: Um. Yeah, I feel like those are things that are long-term goals. Um, you know, connecting with Phyllis through CCRE. The Coffee Coalition for Racial Equity. Um, one thing I forgot to say that I uh, throughout my career is we won Rooster of the Year in 2022, which during the pandemic was like a fun feat. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, but also, just in general, like I do want to promote like applying for the Rist Magazine Roster of the Year just because the application itself is such a great reflection of like where you're at as a
0: business. Yeah. Cause um, you're like looking at it like face front.
1: Yeah. And it's like, not just about your coffee. It's like about your methods and like your practices and, um, it's a holistic approach. Um, so like, even if you don't make it to the finalist stage, like I feel like the process itself is very rewarding. Yeah, Um, and it helps kind of like pinpoint like areas that you might want to keep working at or towards and then just keep applying (laughs) um it did help us like it helped us as a team like want to feel like motivated and affirmed but to to like get our name out there yeah and then um and I think it's like going back to like our f- experience at the register guild retreat, it's like being Latina led women forward is like, you know, it's fun, but it's also like, it feels like we have to prove ourselves a little bit
0: more sometimes. Yeah, I get that hundred percent. Yeah.
1: <laughs> um, And so, you know, things like that, like really feel great when we get them. So And yeah, I feel like (laughs) I talked to, um, Daniel from, uh, he works at Cropster now. Um, he used to work at Spirit Tea and like one of our conversations that we had, he has a podcast as well. Um, was it just around like, is it worth spending money on these like courses and classes Mm -hmm. or is it better to like learn that on your own and spend that money on your team or like on things that are going to push your business forward. Right. And it's like interesting because like feeling, it's almost like, it feels really nice to have the Q grader certification. Cause I knew, I know I worked really hard for that. Mm-hmm. And yet, it's also kind of sad that it's, like, it takes that certification to be taken seriously sometimes. And it's, like, again, it's one of those things that it's, like, no one's actually told me that. But it's, like, I think having it, like, just kind of shields.
0: I mean, what's really interesting is um, when I first started, like, learning about cupping, I remember my mentor at the time was explaining to me about Q grading. Because he was also Q graded, certified at that one. And Mm -hmm. I remember how, like, it sounded super lavish. And the idea of doing that made me feel like the sense of empowerment towards, like, the cause of what I was trying to do, which is understand coffee more. But Mm -hmm. I remember when we had the conversation and I asked him, like, is it worth it, you know? And I loved his answer because he said no. (laughs) He said, you will learn so much more actually cupping and experiencing coffee in a way where it's applicable to normal daily life, then the tests they'll run you through. Yeah. And I think that like at the end of the day, um, I don't know, like it's sort of, it. I guess it's, this is just subjective, right? Like it's just open to whatever anyone else's personal perspective on it is. But, mm-hmm. like, you can still enjoy wine, you know? Like, you can still enjoy wine without being a sommelier, you know? You can yeah. still, like, try to educate and try to understand wine on a level where you drink it enough, you talk about it enough, you read about it enough. Mm-hmm. There's there's still, like, not that much of a differentiation besides terminology, understanding placement. But, you, like, it's like a lot of this can be self-taught. A lot of it can be taught through exploration and experience versus yeah. like it's crazy how expensive it is too like I think yeah. for me like cost efficiency is <laughs> is a big factor on how I kind of like live my life and it's like that's why a lot of the time it sucks how I feel so distant from th- the coffee community because so much of it is like I can't afford to attend these things and mm-hmm. I know that I've talked about this on the show before and I've had guests who also vocalize that too It's just like you probably really won't see me at, like, SCA events unless there's an option for somebody like myself to apply for another scholarship. But for the most of it, it's just, it's really hard to kind of put yourself in these categories when there's not much opportunity for people who have, like, lower income lifestyles that just can't participate. Mm-hmm. But I mean, like, that shouldn't belittle someone's talent for being able to understand profiles on flavor and food. Because at the same time, it's just like, that's all that is. Once you're able to kind of identify it, it's applicable to literally everything. Like, I, I apply my wine knowledge to coffee. There's differences in actual, like, what the product is. But for the most part, your mouth is an experience that will trial everything connected with food. Which is why a lot of the time we use food tasting notes
1: yeah well that's yeah. sense. no i agree i think i do find that the cue was valuable to me just because um i was really nervous about it honestly but i was like i do this on a day-to-day basis like in theory i should be able to pass this knowing how hard it is but it's kind of putting my like what I'm doing on a day-to-day basis like to the test um so the fact that I passed it on my first try like I I did some prep work like I knew what I was like walking into but not fully you know like it was really intense yeah Um, and it's like a really intense like it's like training and then you take the 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 exams um and yeah it's really expensive and then like you have to like keep it updated every three years but I guess for me like what I find valuable is being able to take that experience and bring it back to work you know and then share that experience with the team and like get them to that level of like being able to detect defects and like quality control and like I mean honestly like it's more useful for green buyers than really baristas but I think it's still like good palette development, you know, yeah. You're saying like there's a lot, a lot that you already know that you don't need that certification for,
0: mm-hmm.
1: but it does kind of put that like stamp of, mm, like I've gone through the ringer and you can trust my palette, <laughs> you know, kind of thing, especially like, globally when you're like trying to think about that but it's also like it's also fun to like just like when I was in Brazil like learning to hear other people like like other people's tasting notes and like other people like talk about the coffees and like and learn from them you know it's like this isn't like just because I got the certification doesn't mean I'm not like I'm no longer learning or like I'm no longer seeking like how to taste like doesn't mean I'm like the best taster ever, you know, like I'm still, it's still a learning process, but it does give me a little bit more like relief of being able to like say like, you know, like what I'm scoring is based off of my experience with these things. But I had that before the Q grader too, though, you know, it's just like a stamp of affirmation, I guess, Mm -hmm. a really expensive one. (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) <laughs> yep. um but it's also like you know just like seeing camila like be a a trainer you know like if we ever wanted to go down that route like this is the first step to it so i don't know so i don't know pros and cons i guess um but yeah i wish that there were more opportunities for uh, the ability to, like, I don't know. It's almost like we need, like, pro uh, developments that we do, like, internally, but, like, for everyone. <laughs> 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 like, things that you would technically do at the queue, you know? And just, like, I don't know, share that knowledge. So, so you don't have to or- the course
0: yeah so I'm gonna transition the topic you ready do it so on the show we have a little segment called hot takes <laughs> 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 I love how your reaction was that so it gives you the opportunity to vocalize a hot take that you have towards the industry <laughs> <laughs> uh-huh <laughs> I feel like you already have one. (laughs) It's basically uncensored, unfiltered. It's basically the opportunity to kind of vocalize something that frustrates you or something you would love to be brought to awareness. So what is your hot take? (laughs) Oh, God. Come on. Um...
1: Oh God. Okay. So mine, I feel like the one that I've been always thinking about is um competitions. <laughs> what about and competitions them? and honestly I feel like I'm still like I still feel very like passionate about this view, but then I always convince myself out of it. Like I talk myself out of it because I'm like, ah fuck, I see the like aspects that benefit this side of it but for the most part I just get really peeved about the idea that it's all like high-end coffees mm, that Like way Geisha's. yes mm-hmm. and it's like what like what is what are we pushing here as an industry like what are we telling the rest of the world about you know like coffee production
0: um because honestly, what is the likelihood of a normal coffee shop you walk into to be serving a geisha on espresso?
1: Yeah, I mean, there are a few that do it. But you have to be in, like, the right neighborhood, right? Like, you have to know, like, who your audience is for that, who's going to pay $30 or, or so for a pour-over of this coffee. Um, damn, I don't know. It's like, I'm... One thing that I love is that our head is round so we can change our mind. <laughs> so <laughs> this might be my hot take now, but I might, like I said, convince myself out of it later.
0: You mean so, like what you've been doing?
1: Yeah, pretty much. Just being in like uh, a <laughs> fucking loop of yes, no, yes, no. What? <laughs> what is the purpose of this? Um, I I just I think in the very beginning and I think I also went to the queue very skeptical about like the value of coffees and like, you know, like grading coffees and like why certain coffees got higher scores rather than like, you know, blenders or whatever. Uh, um, I think I learned a lot. I learned a lot at the queue regarding that stuff. Um, But I feel like with like competitions, it's like, this is our first year like entering competition world and like it's very daunting to be honest. Like it's um very broy still. Um yeah, uh I I think the biggest thing that like has gotten me is like trying to understand the reasoning behind the competition committee not putting like limits on a coffee you know like yeah i know like preliminaries like you just are given a coffee and you have to do what you can with that coffee and like learn it within like a few whatever like a day um but then when it comes to like qualifiers and nationals or whatever um and then world it's like yeah, I I'm, I guess that's my question. It's like, what are we trying to push as an industry, like, in these things? And it's like, if it's, like, more equity for producers, then, like, why not use coffees that are everyday coffees? Yeah, I agree with that. Yeah.
0: I think it's also harder as a barista to kind of make a, a craft beverage off of a, co- like, I don't want to say, how do I word this? Like, It's really easy to make an extremely well-pronounced coffee taste good. Mm -hmm. I think it takes a lot more of an art form as a competitor and as as a um, barista to make a coffee that takes a lot of understanding of using the product well and making it a pronounced coffee.
1: Yeah. Yeah, no, I agree. I feel like. I had this conversation with Edwin actually, um, and one of his things was like a lot of the competitors, like talk a lot about the producer, but like don't actually like, I don't know. I, it was interesting to hear his perspective. Um, because not everyone has access to go to origin. Mm -hmm. Um, but in his mind he was like, why don't all competitors like go to origin and actually get to meet the producer? I think in his mind, it was probably more about like highlighting the producer, um, and, and, and like getting to know the fruits of the areas and like using yeah. those, to, like highlight the coffee, which I feel like I read recently like a, an article from like Morgan who talked about using like Lulo and stuff. Um, I think she used uh, Colombian coffee. Um, but I also would love to see more people from Origin in competition. <laughs>
0: That'd be really cool, actually.
1: <laughs> I know. That makes have- also
0: so much sense that it doesn't need to ex- be explained why.
1: Yeah, exactly. I know some like um, producers have competed in like brewers and um, some barista competitions, but... I don't know. We need to see more of that. And I, I know that there are limitations to that just in terms of like getting a visa to like compete in worlds and like in other places. But
0: yeah, international travel sucks.
1: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But that would be, I don't know, just really cool to see. I feel like it'd of.
0: be really special too. Yeah.
1: I think so. I feel like to me, that's like kind of pushing the envelope. I don't know i don't know <laughs> i think i'm still like finding my legs in understanding the value of competition yeah i think i think that like as a individual you probably learn a lot more about like where you are with your skills and like how you can keep learning and and growing if you're really interested in like coffee as a career um overall I feel like the vibes are pretty cute um (laughs) 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 like people are really nice you know but like there are definitely moments of like growiness that can feel very off-putting and like uninviting yeah um but I think that also just kind of comes back to like understanding humanity and like again like we're such a nerdy crew, like, coffee industry people. (laughs) Yeah. Okay, I kind of get it, like, and yet it's still (laughs) (laughs) off-putting. I don't know. That's not a very hot take, but...
0: (laughs) No, I actually really liked that one. We've had some really interesting um, answers throughout the past few episodes (laughs) on this. Um, But, no, I liked that one. I feel like it's probably something everyone else also thinks but hasn't vocalized that if i like went up to different people they probably would have been like yeah i'm kind of tired of seeing a geisha win every time you know yeah um i feel that way towards cup of excellence too whenever i see the results Um, (laughs) (laughs) yeah but um yes i really appreciated our chats Yes, I like, loved having the talk about roasting stuff with somebody for a change. I always feel like I'm like talking to myself trying to figure shit out. And it's just nice that <laughs> the mutual issues and the mutual struggles are there. And I can just yeah. like geek about it with somebody.
1: Yes. And let's start exchanging coffees. Yeah. And I'm that.
0: actually super curious to what you'll think about this too.
1: Yeah. um, I do
0: want to get that Congolese coffee though. That sounds really exciting. It's delicious too. <laughs> well I will let you go was there anything else you'd like to say before we clock off
1: no thank you so much keep doing you um, you're doing great um, I really appreciate you like creating this platform and continue to be curious and continue to take up space and yeah let's keep in touch yes please
0: <laughs> if I'm ever in North Carolina I said. Yeah. I will definitely stop by. All right. Yeah.
1: If I'm ever in Ohio, is that right?
0: Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I'm like, yeah. (laughs) Hopefully, you don't really find many reasons to come up north. (laughs) Save yourself. (laughs) No. I used
1: to, my dad used to like go to um, Columbus, Ohio a lot because um, uh, his craft shops that he had in Cherokee, like, the winter time was like really slow, mm-hmm. and so we'd go to Columbus to go to the mall, which is like soul sucking, but great for him. <laughs> yeah, the is <mall's laughs> like open a, a shop in the mall in Columbus, Ohio. I don't know why there, but who knows? My dad, my dad just, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> it worked for him,
0: so well we here. I appreciate you for being open to come on the show for your thoughts and your hot take. It was <laughs> great talking to you. Likewise. I'll definitely catch you on the flip side.
1: <laughs> Sounds good. <laughs> okay. <laughs> see you then. Bye. Bye.
0: I liked how the, the listeners are definitely going to learn a lot more about roasting and the intricacies in this episode. Like, I feel like this was a really good informative episode and it felt really nice and cathartic for me to finally have someone to kind of like vocalize these frustrations or like see if it's a, is it just me? And the fact that it isn't just me is actually really nice. Um, but yeah, I really liked her, her, her story. I think it's like, every time I talk to somebody who started their own business in the coffee industry seems to always find a way to intricately intricately make it a part of their life you know like every person we've kind of talked to has made really deep connections with what they do and it's like from her partnership to creating the name to how she wants to source how she wants to create an atmosphere and a work culture to even like the idea of growth for her is the betterment of what she's building not even just like I want to continue my chain or I want to do this it's like well how can I continue to grow how can I continue to take care of myself my partner and my my work and my staff you know like I love that 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 was the answer to that here's the thing Camilla also I like the fact that she brought up Camilla because Camilla's episode is something that I like I kind of like have never kind of let, let go where Camilla also talked about how much pressure it puts on the producers to make coffee at a level that's just constantly beating this grading system versus like being satisfied with the coffee and accepting that there is going to be a limitation and there are going to be defects my whole perception honestly changed after that episode when it came to grading like she's very powerful with how she explained that too to me